0: congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ from question and answer 113 of the congregation which deals with the 10th commandment we can learn that the 10th commandment of the Lord's law of the Lord's 10 commandments shines a revealing light upon the sins of our heart upon our deepest most secret thoughts in the light of the explanation of the Tenth Commandment of our there is not one single believer who is not guilty of breaking all the commandments of the Lord almost all the time. Not even the holiest of those who are converted to God are able, able to keep God's perfect law flawlessly. And it's true, of course, that we, the Lord's people, ...very much wish at times... ...that we will be able to obey the the law of God. That's because of that desire... ...worked in us by the Holy Spirit. And Because of that desire worked in us by the Holy Spirit... ...we begin to live according to all the commandments of God. But it is only a beginning... ...of that obedience. And even that beginning is at times just only reduced to a desire. There are days that we are so taken up by the world that we not really even feel that desire. And when at times that desire to live according to the commandments of God is strong, then we see so much sin and shortcomings in ourselves that we at times doubt that we are truly the Lord's people. But that, that happens because we look at our failings and our shortcomings and not at the cross. But nevertheless, the Holy Spirit is at work in us and so there is that sincere desire to live a life that pleases the Lord. That's what all the Lord's people have in common. We, we love the Lord and we, we really desire to live a life that pleases Him. And that desire to please him make us turn towards the law. Why? Because his commandments, his law teaches us how to please him. Now this afternoon we will look at the next, the last question of Laws 44 and also at the first question of Laws 45 Question 115, the last Lord's Day, of, Lord's Day 44, is one of those questions you could call a transition questions. It reviews what we have learned about our keeping or not keeping of God's law. And then the next question, question 116, leads us into the greatest of our work of thankfulness, our prayer for the grace of God, uh, of the Holy Spirit so let's look at those two questions under the team the Lord has his commandment so strictly preached to us for a good reason and for by it the Lord want to teach us first of all to stay at the cross second to pray and to strive and then also teaches us the necessity of prayer First, we'll see that the Lord wants to teach us to stay at the cross by having the law so strictly preached to us. And so we look at our question, and it goes, if in this life no one can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God have them preached so strictly? And the answer first... ...so that throughout our life we may more and more become aware of our sinful nature... ...and therefore seek more eagerly forgiveness of sin and the righteousness of Christ. So, to be clear, the Lord has not the Ten Commandments preached to us so strictly. He has not does not have the law the Ten Commandments read to us every Sunday morning so that we, his people, who confess to to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, are in in bondage of that law again. That's not the reason. We are not slaves of the law again. That is not why God has his commandments so so strictly preached to us. We should not use our works of the law... To confirm that we are true believers. We true pious people. That's not why it is. When every Sunday morning the law is read. Then the, the law does not charge the Lord's people for their sin. The law does not accuse them. Not even... The law may do this anymore, for in the Bible it says in Romans 8, verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And then there is no law that that charges. The law can also not condemn us. As we hear it read or preached, for we read in Romans 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, to be sure, the law does charge, does accuse and and condemn. It accuses and condemns all who are not in Christ Jesus. That is all who are not confessing with their mouth and believing with their heart that they belong with body and soul, both in life and in in death, to Jesus Christ, the faithful Savior. Who not confess that he and he alone is their faithful Savior. The law charges unbelievers. Even if such unbelievers would be baptized. Are communicant members of a church. But I say it again. The law does not condemn the Lord's chosen and saved people. Those whom Christ saved with his precious blood. The law does not any longer condemn us. Brothers and sisters in the Lord. To us... The Lord has his Ten Commandments preached so strictly so that we continuously would use it to mirror ourselves. And when we look in that mirror of God's law, then we see that we are not at all like we want to be. We like to be more and more into the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We like to be holy, as he is holy. And then we look in that mirror of the law and we see all those imperfections. If we want to be holy. We strive for it. We fight against our sinful desires. And when we do that, we sometimes have our victories, be it at times ever so small. But mirroring ourselves in the law, we see clearly that we are still sinners. Not that the law accuses us, Not at all. The law is just a mirror. Let us see what we look like. But if we see ourselves in that mirror of God's perfect law, then our own conscience accuses us. It accuses us that we are not as holy as we so dearly want to be. And as we strive to be. And then we will, feel, we will feel that heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sins, and that drives us to the cross again. You see, and now we're there. That is why God has the law so strictly preached to us, His people. He wants us at the cross, always. That's where He wants His people. God is to us not a judge but he is for Christ's sake our Father, and he knows us. And we had his beloved children, and he knows that our old nature is dying, but not yet dead. And he knows that as long as that is the case, he will time again wander from the cross into the works of the law, wander from the cross into self-righteousness. And then what we do or don't do becomes more important than Christ. And then the devil has us for exactly where he wants us to be. But our Father wants us at the cross. For there his people humbly ask for and find forgiveness of all their sins. Only at the cross, brothers and sisters, do we find the assurance that all our sins are paid for. That we find the assurance that we are free from the law. And that it neither charges nor condemns us. So we need to stay at the cross. That is why God has commandments so strictly preached to us, to drive us to the cross. Now, someone may ask, what does it exactly mean to stay at the cross? Now it means, as the answer of question 150 teaches us, that we seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and the righteousness of Christ. That's what it means, to stay at the cross. Seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins. And yes, that's what we all do, isn't it? Every day we ask the Lord to forgive us our sins. We know our shortcomings. How about that righteousness? How about that? How about are all, all doing our best to obey God's commandments. How about that? Doesn't that often keep us away of seeking the righteousness of Christ instead? Just think about that. It's really something that we so easily do. We, on the one hand, we ask God for the forgiveness of our sins. And then we still seek some of our righteousness in what we do and what we don't do. Instead of looking for the righteousness of Christ, because, and, and admitting that we don't have any of our own. No matter what we try or do. Even the best of our works is defiled with sin, the Catechism teaches us. Now that's why God, our Father, has his law so strictly preached to us. God does not set His law before us as a way to save ourselves by sinning and, and by not sinning and doing good works, but that we should continually ask for forgiveness time and again and upon the prayer believe that we have received it. And then thank the Lord for it. God is so faithful, brothers and sisters. Christ's sacrifice is so sufficient. And then after that petition... For forgiveness we praise our heavenly father that he has granted Christ righteousness to us and that means that he looks upon us as if he never had nor committed any sin. Then you come to church on a Sunday and you look back upon the weeks that has passed and you see all those shortcomings from, of keeping the, the commandments of the Lord. And you know that God the father doesn't see those. Because He has given you the righteousness of Christ which is just perfect. That's what we believe if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. what so it means to stay at the cross. It means believing in what Christ has done. And that at the same time, is a very important work of the thankfulness that God requires from us. So, brothers and sisters, stay at the cross. Let the Lord drive you there and keep you there. For it is only at the cross that you always find full forgiveness for all of your sins and that you receive the righteousness of Christ. It's a lot, but we can't do it any less. Let not anyone or anything attempt you to, to think that. Your good works earn you anything before the Lord. They are defiled with sin, even the best of them. Just take what you take. is the best of your good works. Now and then hold it against God. Perfection and holiness reflected it, reflect it in the law. And see then that even that best work increases your debt before God. If you put it on that scale. How can the best of your good works be even close to what Christ has accomplished for you at the cross? Would it not be an insult to him if you would try to compare the best of your work to his work? Would it not be utterly foolish also just to do that? to to come up with your best works. Would it not be just as foolish as that man who went to that wedding banquet of that king's son without a wedding garment? Remember the parable in Matthew 22? Maybe it's a good passage to read tonight. Let's be thankful to God for the wisdom and the love, for his wisdom and his love, who has his commandments so strictly preached to us so that we never outgrow our need for forgiveness, that we never outgrow our need to have Christ' righteousness written to our account, in short, so that we stay at the cross, for that's what God wants us to be. He wants us to pray and to strive also, as we now see in our second point. The second reason the Catechism gives of why the Lord wants his commandments uh, preached so strictly to his people is according to our answer so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach the goal of perfection. Now I want you to, to know that there is an older version in that old little blue book of praise from many years ago. That we had an older version of the Catechism, an older one, and the answer went like this. That we may constantly endeavor and pray God for the grace of the Holy Spirit to be renewed more and more after the image of God till after this life we arrive at the goal of perfection. In the older version, the emphasis is on the prayer for the grace of the Holy Spirit to be renewed. While in the newer version, there seems to be more emphasis on that we may never stop striving to be renewed. What do I mean? What I mean is this, that the Lord hears our prayer for the grace of the Holy Spirit, and then he will give it much more to us, much more surely than our, our earthly fathers will give good gifts to their children. And the grace of the Holy Spirit is that he renews us more and more after God's image. That's where the emphasis is on the older version of the Catechism, that we be renewed by the Holy Spirit. Now, does that not mean that this striving that the Catechism speaks about is takes no effort of us? Oh yes, they do but the driving force the emphasis is on the holy spirit renewing our nature our striving then is then the result of the holy spirit renewing us our striving is first of all in our prayer for the grace of the holy spirit and then second as the fruit of that grace of the holy spirit we strive for holiness the emphasis is on the work of the holy spirit now our version of today can be understood in the same way but it could also give the impression that our striving is something that we do besides the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Instead of that, it is the fruit of it. And I'm sure that the revisers of our catechism did not want to communicate this at all. But I want to make sure that no one here understands it that way. That our growing more and more into the image of of, of our our Savior would depend at all on our striving. No, it doesn't. You see, we would understand the answer to this question this way, that our striving somehow is something we do apart from the grace and the work of the Holy Spirit in us, and we will walk away from the cross again right into the works of the law and then as the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5 verse 2 Christ has no value for us at all we pray for the grace of the Holy Spirit because we want so much to be restored again into God's image in which our gracious God created us and by the renewing work of the Holy Spirit within us we strive also in prayer for that restored image as long as we live for we always long to be holy but the emphasis is on the grace of the Holy Spirit in us we always long to be holy until we receive that image and it's not here in this life but at the moment that the Lord, our uh, our Lord and Savior returns upon the Close of heaven then in the blink of an eye, he changes us from corruptible into incorruptible, from disorder into glory, and we will be exactly in his image. Only then we reach that goal of perfection the Kardagis speaks about. In the meantime, we will constantly endeavour and pray for the Holy Spirit. And as you will see in our third point, that's so necessary. We will look at the necessity of that prayer for the Holy Spirit. This brings us to question one hundred and sixteen. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? That's an important question. Because there have been, and there still are people who look at the necessity of prayer in the wrong way. And sometimes come to the conclusion that praying is actually an exercise in futility. They don't deny that, that they should pray. But at the same time, it is not at all clear in the mind why it is necessary. In the end, God knows all things. He knows what we need. Even God's word says so. In Psalm 139, it says, Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. And in Isaiah 65, the Lord says, Before they call, I will answer. And the Lord Jesus in Matthew 6, verse 8, speaking about prayer, says that our Father knows what we need already before we ask him. God is all-knowing. So why is prayer necessary for Christians? And then there is another reason of why this question can be asked because people know that, special for people, know that the Lord from eternity, before anything was created, had his eternal plan. And they also know that everything whatsoever in that plan will come to pass And that includes the things he had decreed to give us, and the things that he has decreed not to give us. And they know that God is unchangeable, and so his eternal plan is also unchangeable, so why pray? It's all determined beforehand anyway. All seem to be so logical, isn't it? So, why is prayer necessary? Should we not pray anymore? Yes, we must. It's true that in our prayers to the Lord, we do not ask Him for something or tell Him something that He doesn't know yet. But that's not the purpose of our prayer, to tell Him something that He doesn't know yet. In our prayer, we may praise the Lord, we may thank Him, we may ask Him, not because he does not know what we need or that he needs our praise, but because so we may acknowledge our total dependence upon him. So that we acknowledge him as the source of all good, the fountain of all good. And all these three things, the praise, the thanks, and the confessing of our dependence upon him, are so pleasing to him that our catechism, based upon the scriptures, calls prayer the most important work of the thankfulness that God requires of us. Regarding God's eternal plan, it is so true that everything happens according to that plan, and it cannot be changed. The thing is, brothers and sisters, is that our prayers are also a part of that plan. When Elijah prayed that it would not rain for three years in the time of King Ahab, The Lord withheld that rain, but the prayer as well as the withholding of the rain were part of God's plan. When Moses interceded for Israel because the Lord said that he would destroy them, the Lord seemed to change his mind and listen to Moses' prayer. But Moses' prayer as well as the Lord's hearing of it was part of his eternal plan. So even according to God's eternal plan, our prayers are required. Now all this, that may well be impossible for us to understand. But that doesn't make it less true. It's just true that God is greater than us. And that his thoughts are much higher than our thoughts. And so, we should say with the Belgian Confession in Article 13, and, to his, and as to his actions, surpassing man's understanding... We will not curiously inquire further than our capacity allows us. But with the greatest humility and reverence, we adore the just judgment of God that is hidden from us, and we content ourselves that we, that we are pupils of Christ who have to learn those things that He teaches us in His Word without transgressing these limits. God has revealed to us, brothers and sisters, that He has an eternal plan. But he has not revealed to us the entire content, and it's inner working. But he did reveal to us that he requires our prayers, and that he hears them, and that he answers them. And if that doesn't make sense in your mind, don't just believe him, because our mind is so small in comparison with God's mind. He has revealed in his word that God wants us to pray and that he hears our prayers and answers them. He said, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. Psalm 50. And then somewhere else, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Thessalonians 1 verse 15. Ask and it will be given to you, our Lord Jesus. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. In Philippians 4 verse 6. So why do Christians need to pray? Because God requires it. God commands it. Prayer is first of all a matter of obedience. and It is also a matter of true thankfulness. It's the most important part of our thankfulness. Prayer is also necessar- necessary for our spiritual health. Brothers and sisters, it is truly true that prayer is to our souls what air is to our bodies. Without sufficient prayer, our souls, our spiritual life suffocates. Just that our bodies without air. Prayer is also the way we give praise to the Lord. Yes, even in our asking for all of our needs, of, from him there is honor for God. For to whom else would we go? He has the words of eternal life. Our very lives are in his hand. Only in him we can trust so completely that we have no doubt that he will provide us with all things necessary for body and soul. Out of his fatherly hand, we receive rain and drought, fruitful and barriers, food and drink, health and sickness, indeed, all things. And whatever will come upon us, whatever evil will come upon us, he will turn to our God. Prayer is necessary also, for God will give his grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing, ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. And how many of the Lord's people learn that by experience? For even the Lord's dearest people often forget to ask and to thank and then the Lord for his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to you to remain with you forever. How many times in a week do you thank him for that? Forget so easily. If we do that, forget to thank Him for it and to ask Him for it, then our relationship with the Lord grows stale. But you know, the Lord's people have an advocate sitting at the right hand of the Father who also intercedes for them. The Holy Spirit Himself prays for them with groans that words cannot express, and then by the working of the Holy Spirit, they repent. We return to prayer again. Yes, even here in the most important work of the thankfulness which the Lord requires from us, is our Savior a complete Savior? And that's good too, because as I already said, we have days that we forget to pray for the Lord's grace and the Holy Spirit too often. Think about it. Look at an average day of the week. You wake up in the morning. You eat breakfast if you're not too much in a hurry and you jump in the car and you go to work all day out there in a world that is aiming to deceive you with Satan right there in order to pull you away from Christ did you leave home without asking for the grace of the Holy Spirit in your life and thinking it in the, over in those terms Isn't it a scary business to do that? To just forget about praying for the grace of the Holy Spirit at the beginning of the day and just trusting that without the prayer God will just make all things okay? He is faithful, but he requires our prayer constantly. Prayer for the Holy Spirit, constantly and with longing. God has provided. He knows us. He has provided. He provided the strict preaching of his commandments. It drives us, his people, again and again to the cross. And there in thankfulness, we pray for God's grace of the Holy Spirit because we pray again and again so that we grow more and more into the image of our God and Savior until our Savior returns. God has provided and that's why he has those commandments so strictly preached to us. Not that we should run after those commandments, that we should don't go down to the cross. People on the cross, always on the cross, live there. They will come. All our prayers are heard. And that we will be perfect. And will not they, the Holy Spirit, who kept us from stumbling, will present us blameless before our glory, God's glorious presence and with great joy. And therefore, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now on and forever. Amen.